Hello. We'll go ahead and get started. Father, we're so very grateful once again for another day of life. We're thankful for the blessings of life and the ability to think and to reason and to have a heart that's open to your word. We pray you be with each and every heart here that as we study your word, as we study David, that uh, you would fill our hearts with the wisdom that you desire us to have from these passages. Uh, this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been studying the life of David. And this week, we're going to, uh, this idea about David going from a, from a giant killer and a champion of the people to this treacherous, adulterous murder when he slept with Bathsheba. And I've often asked myself the question, how'd that happen? Um, actually, there was a time in my life, I've been studying this for years, there was a time in my life where I kind of felt like David, although I never murdered anybody. But I really was a point in my life where I was a man that, not the kind of man I wanted to be. And it was like, how did I, how could a guy that believes in God wind up doing the things you've done? How'd you do that? And so I started looking at David. I thought maybe I could find some answers, and actually I, I think I did, and I just want to share those with you. Uh, three main points that I want you to understand as we look at David's life. Self-will produces the spirit of fear in our hearts. Remember we talked about the spirit of fear last week? 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And remember, those two can't coexist. If we're overcome with the spirit of fear, we have surrendered the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of a sound mind. Uh, and it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter how, how religious you are or how pious you are, if you allow yourself to become overcome with the spirit of fear, uh, then you're not going to act with God's power, and you're not going to have love in your heart, and you're going to not you're going to lose your mind that's what's going to happen your sound mind so first of all we left david um having just rescued his family um what was the zillag remember he went they went off to to uh meet with the king the philistines were fixing to go to battle with the Israelites. In fact, that's the battle where King Saul got killed and the king's men sent David back and when they got home, all their people were, all their possessions were stolen and all their people were kidnapped, their wives and their children and then and David finally got around to getting on his knees and praying to God. God, should I go get them? And God said, yeah, they're all still alive. You can all get them back. So he gets them back and he comes back to the city and he actually sits there for a couple of days and he gets news that Saul's dead. And then immediately he prays uh, in 2 Samuel 2. He finally gets around to asking God, God, should I go back to Judah? God said, yes. And he told him where to go. And when he got back to Judah, they crowned him king of Judah. He was king for seven and a half years. Uh, and in 2 Samuel 3, 1, it tells us that the house of David grew stronger and stronger and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. So God was with David. 
uh, David was with God. Um, Saul's house at that time had Ishbosheth as king. Abner, the general, put um, Saul's son in the king over the northern kingdom, Israel, and there were some skirmishes going on. But eventually, uh, Abner gives up on the northern kingdom and applies his uh, allegiance to David, and that begins to swing everything over. And so eventually, uh, David's crowned king of all Israel. And it says in, uh, in 2 Samuel 5, 6 through 9, David actually goes back and reconquers Jerusalem from the Jebusites, the city of David, the city of God. Jerusalem had always been the center. In fact, that was the town that uh, Melchizedek was high priest in wasn't called Jerusalem at that time, but that's always been kind of God's little center. And David retakes it. And verse 10 of chapter 5, it says, David becomes stronger in the Lord. And here's the important thing. David knew it was all God for the sake of God's kingdom. Look at 2 Samuel 5, 12, and we'll see what it says there. It's important to note because uh, David actually loses his focus and it's the beginning of all his trouble. 2 Samuel 5, verse 12. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people. So notice, all these great things that David did, he knew it was God's work, and God didn't do it for David. He did it for the sake of his people. Totally selfless in his attitude, right? It's all God. It's for God's glory. It's God's way, and I'm a humble servant. And then something seems to change. I don't know if I could have withstood what David went through, if you look at it, really. Can you imagine the hopes and dreams of an entire nation, which was Israel was to be reunited and back in fellowship with God, with a king? David made that happen. Could you imagine if the entire nation of the United States had a dream and you were the guy that made it happen? How would you keep that from going to your head? Uh, some people might pull that off. I don't think I would. I, I, don't, I don't sure. And we're going to see that David probably didn't do too well either. So let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we'll read the first 15 verses. We're going to study two things. We're going to study about David bringing the ark back, and then we're going to study about David trying to be reconciled to his wife, Michal. It's all in the same chapter. David, uh, David again gathered all the uh, chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried uh, the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah, 
and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Let's stop right there. I want you to notice the first thing David did. Look at verse 9. Why did David bring the ark? Was it to bring it home to God? Who was he bringing it to? Yeah, there's another account in 1 Chronicles. In chapter 13, it actually says, David said, he says to his men, hey, let's go get the ark and bring it back to God. And then in three verses, it says the same thing. David said, how am I going to get the ark back to me? Can you see the change that began happening? I'm the king that brought the city back together. The ark hasn't been with God forever. How awesome would it be if I'm the guy that brings that thing back? David did it for David. And because he was doing it for him, David did it his way. Look at the first five verses. They took the ark and they put it on what? A cart. Is that how the ark's supposed to be carried? How's it supposed to be carried? Yeah, the priests. They had the sticks and the, and the gold rings on side of it, right? Yeah. But David thinks, man, I can't wait to get this thing back home with me. After all, God wants it back in his house. I want it back in his house. Let's make this thing happen. And so, I want you to understand, even if we're doing the right thing, if we're not doing it God's way, it doesn't work. Our heart can be right. Two things, he didn't do it God's way, and he didn't do it for God. He was doing it David's way for David's glory. Do you think he thought that in his mind consciously? Do you think that's what he was thinking? Hey, let's, I'm going to do this for me, and I'm going to do it my way, forget about God. Do you think he was thinking that? That's what he was doing, though, wasn't it? If you walked up to David right at that point and said, do you believe in God? He'd say, absolutely. I have all faith in the world in God. You have to ask yourself, how often do we do stuff like that? 
I mean, we know that our God wants us to love our spouses. Why do we love our spouses? I mean, we do. But do we love them for the glory of God, and do we love them God's way? We know God wants me to discipline my children, but when you discipline your children, do you do it for the glory of God God's way? Are you in it for yourself? See how easy we do that? We've all done that. We just go so wrapped up in the moment that before we know it, it's about me. My love and my spouse can become about me. My discipline and my children can, can come, come about me. We have to be careful. Then the next thing I want you to notice, David's way angers God, six through seven. God is not happy when we do it our way. It doesn't matter what we're doing. I could be leading God's church in a Bible class right now. If this is all about me and my heart, it don't make God happy. Right? It has to be his way for his glory. Not our way for our glory. If we've got either one of those out of whack, it's either our way or it's for our glory. We're going to see later, God... David actually starts doing it God's way, but it's still for his glory, and it doesn't work out too good. And then what happens, David's way made David angry and fearful of God. Verse 8 and 9, how did that happen? Why do you suppose he got mad and angry at God? You remember this verse? 2 Timothy 1, 7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. What was David afraid of when, when, when God killed Uzzah? He said it right there in verse 22, you remember? Was it verse 9? And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? What was he afraid of? How am I going to get this ark home? Now, I want you to think about it. If I'm moving a cart and somebody touches it, and they instantly die, and it's God's ark, what's the first human thought you're going to have? Man, that thing's dangerous. Evidently, God don't want that thing moved. I ain't touching that thing. That thing scares me. Wonder why God doesn't want it moved. What's going on here? Right? He's afraid. So they put it, he puts it in somebody else's house because he's such a nice guy. Here, you take this hot potato. Right? That's what he's afraid of. What happened to David's spirit of power, love, and self-control? I mean, we read the first five chapters, and he was giving God all the glory for all this great work. And then all of a sudden, he's caught up in the spirit of fear. Remember last week, he was caught up in the spirit of fear because Saul was attacking him, right? So what was the source of his fear now? Self-will. Whenever we act in self-will, we're setting ourselves up for being overcome by the spirit of fear. Why? Because we try to make things happen and we can't. There's a million people and a million things that will get in my way if I try to promote my own way. 
People will get in my way. Things get in my way. Politics get in my way. The economy gets in my way. Bad health gets in my way. And I get fearful that I'm not going to achieve what I want to achieve, and then I get angry. Do you ever realize that, that how connected this, the, uh, the emotion of anger is connected to the fear? I always tell teenagers when I teach them, you want to see your parents get really mad? Scare them. Stay out all night and not come home and call. They will be so scared that they'll want to rip your head off. <laughs> They're connected, very connected. So, my two greatest fears, these, fe these two fears drive us more than anything else, and they drove David. The fear of not getting what we want, we want security, I want my life to be secure, I want financial security, I want emotional security, I want my life to be secure and at peace. And then I want uh, social standing. I want to know where I fit in. Where do I fit in in this group? Where do I fit in at work? Where do I fit in in the family? I want to know that. I get a sense of peace, especially if they put me somewhere where I feel valued. It's important to me. I'll fight for that if I don't get it. And I'll fight to get it if I don't have it. And then uh, intimate relationships. We want close friends, and then ultimately, we, most of us want a spouse. Sexual intimacy. God can provide all those things, but it's intrinsic to us to make those things happen. So I will either fear of not getting those things, or I'll fear... I'll have the fear of losing it. If I already have them, then I'll fight to hold on to them. Get your big old pile of money in the bank and then watch somebody try to take it. And then you get scared you're going to lose it, and then you get what? Mad. <laughs> you start fighting IRS and the economy and taxes. And yeah, two fears that drive us. Fear of not getting what we want and the fear of losing what we'll get. What was David afraid? What fear drove him? Was it the fear of not getting what he wanted or the fear of losing what he had? He was, what did he want? He wanted the ark. What else did he want? Do you think it had anything to do with his social standing? I want to be the king that brings the ark. He wanted the ark, and he wanted all the accolades. And when God said no, he was afraid he wasn't going to get what he wanted. And he got scared, and he got angry. Listen, when either one of these fears are under attack, anything or anyone in opposition go to our enemy pile instantly. I don't care if you love them or not. They're going to the enemy pile. If our hearts and minds aren't centered on God, that's what happens. Do you ever notice that the most angry you've ever been in your life is toward people that are closest to you and you love them? Why do you suppose that is? Who can affect my desire to have security and social standing 
and intimate relationships more than those people that are really close to me. That's why divorce is so devastating. Do you realize that every aspect of a human's life is attacked simultaneously when there's divorce? It's even worse than death in some respects. Because your security is absolutely obliterated, emotional, money, your social standing's changed. Friends, now the friends are divided between the divorce and you don't know who's siding with who and you're hoping people side with you. You're just in turmoil. And of course, your intimacy is just shattered. It's horrible. You need to think about that. If you have a friend going through a divorce, you need to pray hard for them. They're under full, full-blown attack. But anyway, David's under attack. Even if it's God, they'll go to the enemy pile. People do that all the time. I want religion to be a certain way. The Bible stands in the way. What do I do? Since that God won't let me do it, I will create another one that does. And I'll still call it Christianity. Or I'll say... This Bible won't let me be a drunk or an adulterer or a homosexual. This is old and outdated. That God is... You ever notice that people that claim to be atheists are angry at God and anybody that believes in him? Why would you get angry at something you don't believe in? Right? I don't believe in Santa Claus. If you tell me you believe in Santa Claus, I am not going to get mad at you. I might pray for you, I might laugh, <laughs> chuckle at you, but I'm not going to get mad at you. People get mad at God because God won't let them do, get the things they want or hold on to the things they want. That's why we get mad at God. God does go to the enemy pile. A lot of times we won't admit it. I can remember living a certain way and I wanted to be mad at God, but I knew if I did I'd go to hell. I didn't realize I was going to hell anyway by the way I was living. But I tried to fool myself into believing I wasn't angry at God. I was. David got angry with God because he wasn't getting what he wanted. Sometimes we fail... Not because our objective is wrong, but because we are not doing it God's way. There was nothing wrong with wanting to bring the ark home. It was just wrong to bring it home in a cart and make God mad. Now, if you turn to 1 Chronicles 15, which is the same account, you don't have to, but you can turn there and read. You'll see that once David looked and people come to him and said, hey, that guy, the Gittite, that you left the ark with, he's being blessed. That ark is just blessing him. David said, oh, okay, so maybe, maybe God does want it moved. It was scary to me. I thought God didn't want it moved, but I mean, if somebody's being blessed and then he comes to his senses and he goes back, and he carries it with the Levites with the stick. And every so many paces, they'd slaughter animals all the way back to Jerusalem. Him and his 30,000 people. Just, can you imagine a parade of 30,000 people? 
But who was he doing it for? Had his heart really changed? Doesn't say there until you get into the next part of chapter 6, which is Mikhail. I love this part, this interaction between husband and wife, because it's really pretty typical, except we usually don't get that angry. Look at verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me a prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make, listen to this, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Do you remember um, how Michael got there? 1 Samuel chapter 3, Ishbosheth was still king of Israel. They were beginning the process of reuniting the kingdoms, and David sent to Ishbosheth and said, Send me my wife Michael, who I paid 200 foreskins for. I want her back. Do you know how long it had been up to that point to when, he, when Michal first made him help him escape? He hadn't seen her since she helped him escape from uh, the palace where Saul was king. Yeah, any idea how long that had been? Well, he's the king of Israel now. How long was he the king of Judah before he became king of all Israel? Seven and a half years. How long had he run before he became king of Judah? We don't know for sure, but it could have easily been six to eight years. It had been a while. Now, she loved David when she was younger, and David loved her. I mean, she risked her own reputation to go against their father to help him escape. But that was 14, 15, 16 years ago. And now we find out she was actually married, if you read in chapter 3, she was married. And so the king ripped her away from her husband. We don't know how long they were been married. It doesn't say they had kids. And drags her to the palace. 
Now, how long did she wait in the palace? First time she saw David is when he made it back into Israel with the ark. How long had that been? Well, if you read in 1 Chronicles, from the time he put the ark with the uh, Gittite until he brought it into Israel, he had time to defeat the Philistines twice and build houses for himself and the ark. I don't know how long that took, but it's been a while. So she'd been in that palace waiting on her husband, who she had no idea what he, kind of man he might still be. Does he still love me? Does he care? Could you imagine what was going through her mind? She'd been ripped away from her own family and her own living. And she had a lot of fears, didn't she? Probably worries and fears. And then he had to make this parade back with 30,000 people. So she sees him come in the city with a parade of 30,000 people. Do you know how long that takes? Have you ever seen a parade with 30,000 people in it, personally? It'd be a while. And then, what does he do? He gives gifts to every man and woman in Israel. I don't know how many that was, but it's more than 30,000. Do you imagine how long that would take? So put yourself in, in her shoes. She's been sitting there for months, maybe even a year, maybe longer, waiting for this guy to come home. Do you think by the time he got home, she was happy? Would you have been happy? And what's the first thing you see when he comes into the palace? He's finally here. What do you expect? Am I not his wife? What's he doing? He's promoting David. She could see it, right? Man, you ever been in where you're doing the, you know, and everybody loves you at work, and you're such a great boss, you're such a great businessman, and, and, but your wife sees the real you, doesn't she? Sometimes you get tired of watching other people pat you on the back when you're thinking, man, they ought to just slap him in the face, <laughs> So that's what's happening here. She sees him elevating himself, paying no attention to her. What? Do you remember when David was reconciled to King Saul? Do you remember his attitude? Didn't matter what Saul did. Remember what he focused on? Title. You're the Lord's king. That demands respect. And then he said, no matter what my title is, I look at myself as a servant. There's a proper response of a servant to a title given somebody from God. The title of wife means something. It's God-given. The title of husband means something. It's God-given. If we view ourselves as servants, it demands a godly response to the title, doesn't it? We don't see David doing that here. He's reversed the roles, hadn't he? You're the wife, but I'm the, not servant, I'm the king. And since my title is king, that demands from you a godly response toward me. That's not God's way. David wasn't following God's way. So well, that's what she was thinking. How did she respond? She was angry, wasn't she? Where do you think that anger come from? 
She wasn't getting what she wanted. Now, maybe she had a right to expect those things, but that's really, it upset her. My whole life was turned upside down for this guy, and I'm getting, I'm being treated like a piece of property. I'm going to go off. Why does she respond that way? Remember? Which one of her fears was under attack? Probably both of them, right? She'd lost her way of life and her husband, and now she's, what has she got? She's a piece of property that comes last. Another puzzle of David's life as he self-exalts himself. Just another little medal to hang on his kingly robe, you know. Freaked her out, she got angry. She went right to the heart, too, didn't she? She went right to the heart. You know, what, what'd she say? You know you, you're worshiping God. You don't worship God by dancing and taking your clothes off. You ain't fooling me none. I know what you're about, King David. You're all about you. What was David's response? He wasn't mad when he walked in, but as soon as Michael opened her mouth, did he get mad? Oh, man, he went for the jugular. Where did that David come from? Where did that David come from? What did he do? He hit her right where she hurt. What did he say? He made me king over your dad, who he chose over your dad. Man, her dad had just been murdered, and her brother had just been murdered, and he went and attacked her right there. How vicious is that? And then he says, you think what I did was evil today let me tell you something let me tell you that I'm going to act even more debased than that and I don't care if you like me or not these women are going to worship me I'll show you and he did didn't he he showed her with Bathsheba that started way before he ever met Bathsheba, didn't it? That Bathsheba thing didn't happen in a moment of weakness. It happened in uh, several years of self-exaltation. And it started right there. David. He got angry at her. What was he afraid of? What do you think he was expecting from her when he come back to the palace? We don't know for sure, but I know it wasn't that. <laughs> he wasn't expecting her to dress him down. He was expecting her to join in the crowd, right? Woo, look at me. Wait till I get home. You haven't seen me for 15. Remember the country song? How do you like me now? <laughs> He was a scared little boy running from the king, but how do you like me now? I got the ark of God. I have unified. 
I have built a house for you, a palace for you. I built one for God. How do you like me now? And she said, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, that's not what he's expecting. How many times have you got mad at your spouse or somebody you love because you, you had some part of your life attacked by their behavior? And how do you respond? You know, until I realized that most of my anger come from a fear, I had trouble managing my anger. Sometimes our anger is just a symptom of a deeper problem. If you ask God to start fixing your fears, guess what happened to a lot of your anger? And how do you fix fears? God's got this, not me. This, when I take things in my own hands, I am inviting the spirit of fear right into my life. And what do I lose when the spirit of fear shows up? Power and love and a sound mind. You look at Michael and David in this scenario, did either one of them have any godly power? Did either one of them have the power to love one another? Was any of them even thinking straight? How do you go after somebody you love by ripping her family apart. That's crazy. That's crazy, isn't it? How did it happen? Verse 22, it all started because David began to be about David. David become about David. That's where it all started. If you're having trouble in your life, especially with relationships, you probably need to start there. It's, maybe it's all about me. Maybe my problems are all about me. David was able to submit to Saul even when Saul was trying to kill him. But I cannot love my spouse unless they act right. So until they act right, I will act ugly till they do and then we'll put everything in order the way I need it for my life to be secure for my standing in this family to be secure for my intimacy to be secure self will produces the spirit of fear anyone or anything that gets in our way Fear and or hate will follow. I don't matter who they are. I don't care how much you love them. If you're not focused on God, if you're focused on self, that will happen. And no matter how well our intentions, we will sin and we will fall. Just like David fell. Just like Mikhail fell. It's inevitable. Next week, It'll be our last lesson. We're gonna sh we're gonna look at Psalms 51, and David's gonna teach us how to what real godly repentance looks like. Read that chapter this week and uh, think about it. We'll pull that thing apart. It's a beautiful, beautiful example of repentance. Thank you for your attention. Anybody got any questions or comments they want to make before we depart, Mr. Wade?
So you're saying he viewed the ark as something that's going to help him be successful as a king. Good point. Yeah, it kind of fits in with what we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, it was all about him. Listen, just before you judge, before you judge David too harshly, I want you to think about this thing and we'll go. I want you to think back in a time in your life when you got really mad and were acting really ugly. We've all had those moments, said things we shouldn't have said and acted in ways we shouldn't have acted. And imagine being in that moment, in that mindset with your heart set like that, and having the entire power of a nation behind you to enable you to do whatever you wanted to do. I shudder to think what I might have done in my anger with that kind of power at my hands. Uh, I'm glad that never happened. I hurt enough people in selfishness as it was. If I had had a whole army and a whole government and a whole cabinet and a whole throne and all its riches, to do what I wanted to do, it might have got real, real ugly. So, we, you know, he's, he was just a man. And ultimately, even at the end, he was a man after God's own heart, which gives me hope for me. Because <laughs> if this guy could go through what he could go through and still be pleasing to God, there might be hope for me. Yeah, I think what he did is he realized he went back to do it God's way to get the, the ark there, but I don't think why he was bringing it there changed. Remember I said you got to have both? You have to do it God's way, and you have to do it for God's glory. Sometimes we do it God's way because our way don't work, but we haven't changed why we're doing it. Are we doing it for God or are we doing it for me? But you're exactly right. He finally got there, didn't he? And he had moments in his life when he had it, and then he'd slip back into self, and then he'd go back, when it beat him up so bad, he'd go back to God. Uh, and you'll see that cycle all the way through his life. Thank you for being a great class.